In this episode, Boys intern Ellie Yang returns with the founder of Elux magazine, Charity Bossio, for part two of the interview. They further their discussion of different topics in the world of sustainability, including secondhand vintage fashion, different cultural implications behind luxury, surviving in a post-pandemic world, vegetarianism, organic farming, and many more. Stay with us. You know, so in Paris, it was really common for women to pass items down from generation to generation, especially things like, you know, Chanel, Hermes, Vuitton, all the big brands. Um, They were kind of heritage brands and the older, the better, you know, it had more character, um, it had a story behind it. uh, And heaven knows that, you know, Parisian women are extremely chic. So I really valued that, the fact that these women were very, very proud to wear second or even third hand clothing. Um, and that for me is really a deep appreciation of luxury as well, because you know those bags are so well made. Um, they even look better, I think, over time. That's saying a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also like historical values. So like behind each item, like there's like a story, like how it gets passed down from people to people. I love that. I love those stories. I love secondhand and vintage clothing. I really, really love that stuff. Um, I was fortunate, you know, in London and Paris to have so much access to that. I don't have that here at all. (laughs) I mean, if you have used clothes, you give them to poor people and that's great. Um, But, you know, here it's a different vibe too. Like I just, I don't shop. I don't buy anything ever um, in terms of clothes. So that's another way of being sustainable, I guess. When you live outside of the city, you feel much less peer pressure to to have something that people are going to go ooh where'd you get that you want to talk about like your international experience which is really cool and like how you know it shaped your perspectives on sustainability you know working internationally i'm really lucky i guess i mean um one of my best friends is uh well she's from qatar and she's in the royal family there and you know, I love her to bits, but honestly, I've never seen so much waste in my life. So, um, you know, it was interesting because I was working for a fashion magazine. I actually helped launch in Dubai and I was hanging out with my friend from Qatar quite a bit at the same time. And, you know, a lot of people in that region, especially equate luxury with excess, you know, like the more you have, the better. And that's what luxury is. And that kind of made me really sad because I saw some really horrific things there. Like, for example, people owning tigers just because they could, you know, that kind of breaks my heart or, you know, going out with uh, really wealthy friends and they don't even look at the menu. They just tell the waiter, bring us one of everything on the menu. And you're like four people, (laughs) you know? So I I was aware that there's an awful lot of um, waste in the luxury industry and that some people still equate luxury with excess. And that kind of made me wonder, what does luxury really mean? You know, so that was interesting. Like spending time in the Middle East really makes you question the whole luxury industry. And then in London, it's a different vibe because there is an awful lot of fast fashion. Um, but there are different fashion tribes as well. Um, and they're very clearly marked. There are a lot of people into, you know, vintage clothing, luxury clothing, um, fast fashion, gothic fashion, punk fashion. You know, there, you really 
do express your tribe and your sense of identity through fashion there. So that was a, another interesting experience. But then in Paris, everyone kind of dresses the same. Um, I mean, it's all about the muted tones, like you're wearing navy blues and blacks and camels and classic clothes. Um, and people do really appreciate that heritage uh, luxury, which I liked. Um, and also in Paris, oh my goodness, I learned about the excellence in the creation of fashion because I was friends with some very big name designers there and I got to see firsthand how they created their clothes. And it's truly an art. You know, it's absolutely artistic, especially the couture fashion, because I had a few friends that were major couture designers. And to see the craftsmanship that goes into that work really, really blew me away. So I had a really broad experience of what fashion is in different places. And I'm really glad I did because I realized it's, to a large extent, it's very culturally defined, isn't it? Yeah. I'd love to learn more about China and the Chinese market. I don't really know. I've, I've not spent a lot of time in Asia, so... I have no idea. Um, I mean, I'm a partner for the Redress Design Awards, the Eco Chic Design Awards in Hong Kong. So I know that mm -hmm. there's a bit of a, an eco fashion scene there, but that's all I know about in a, a huge country. So maybe one day we can talk about that. Yeah, like I'm an international student from Shanghai and then, you know, China has always been, you know, like the world factory, just manufacturing <laughs> all the products for the world. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's, well, I wonder if that's going to change now. I mean, we're in a different epoch now, aren't we, really? Everything's gone upside down. So yeah. I guess we'll see what happens. I think also China's getting more aware of, you know, the environmental impacts. So I think in 2018, China said, like, we don't want any foreign trash exported to yeah. our country. Yeah. You know, you've been working in the, sustainability industry for quite a while. So how do you think it has influenced your personal lifestyle? Well, that's why I left London. You know, I just, I realized I cannot live sustainably in a city. It's just not possible because, you know, I go to the farmer's market when I could um, and get some stuff there, but ultimately I would have to go to the supermarket. And every time I did, it was just infuriating because, you know, it's like, oh, I ran out of avocados and I really want to have a sandwich. And I'd buy an avocado and it's wrapped in like two layers of plastic. Yeah, and it just so much crazy. Or, you know, the fact that, you know, to go out somewhere, I'd have to, you know, dress up and, you know, I'd have to have a certain wardrobe. I've since sold a lot of my fancier clothes before coming here, but, you know, no matter how secure you are in your own self, there is to some extent the necessity to wear certain clothes that are going to get you in the door at certain venues. So I, I just didn't like feeling that pressure. And even things like having a blow dry or having your nails done, there was so much pressure to do that in Paris. Actually, it's quite funny. Like I remember the one time I, I was living in Saint-Germain and one time I left my house to go to like Carrefour to buy something. I don't know what. I had to just run in and run out. I didn't dress up at all. And it was a really hot day and I was wearing a pair of jean shorts and a t-shirt and I ran down the street and there were some girls in a cafe, for example, and uh, they laughed at me as I walked by them and they said, 
ha ha ha, it's Daisy Duke, who's like a redneck character from a TV show. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I've been out of my house for 30 seconds and already I'm getting laughed at, you know? So there is some kind of peer pressure um, that you can reject, you know, if you want to, but sometimes it's just easier to give in. But I was aware when I lived in Paris, you know, if I wanted to go out for dinner and stuff, I'd have to be super dressed up and uh, it was just kind of exhausting after a while. So here it's amazing because nobody sees me. I hide away with my animals. I wear the same clothes for like three days in a row. I love it. I love it. I love it. So this is sustainability to me, you know, like being away from the peer pressure of a city being away from the sterile, super plastic infused supermarkets of the city. Um, it, it's just easier. And also growing my own food and planting trees and planting other plants and, you know, greenifying my area and not having to take Ubers or any cars to get around. I always take the collective micro, they call them here, or a bike. Um, it's just so much easier. Life is just so much easier because we've gone right back to basics here. You know, grow your own food, um, live separate from the hive. Um, there's no need even for that much technology here. Like we have basic Wi-Fi, 3G, as I said, and that's plenty for me. There's no 5G here, thank God. Um, so, you know, we're pretty happy out here like that and long may it remain so. But, you know, there's development and expansion of cities everywhere. So I don't know how long this place is going to stay as green and clean as it is. But for now, it's pretty green and clean. And it's much easier yeah. to be sustainable. So mm -hmm. I'm pretty happy here. So good. Often you get like a more like closer relationship like with your neighbors do you like know like who lives around you and get to talk to them compared oh to like God. if you're well, living in the city. I lived in London for like 20 years and I did not even know my neighbors. I knew them to say hi like I knew what they looked like um, but that was it you know just to say hi. Here we have the best 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 community of people because everyone who is foreign who moved out here is trying to escape city life, right? So we're all on the same page in terms of like sustainability. We grow our own food without pesticides. Um, you know, we're all against 5G and, you know, encroaching technology. Everyone's on the same page. So that's really fabulous. And with the local people, a lot of my friends have married local people. So there is a lot of, um, you know, interconnection. I mean, there are some people like tribes, like the Caro and different people who live here and that's it's very difficult to um to integrate with them because they have such a traditional way of life but everyone's very respectful at the very least oh that being said i do have a friend who married a carol but um you know they, they speak a different language it's not even spanish um they have their very traditional way of life which i deeply deeply respect and learn from a lot but it's still a separate community and that's fine we're all we're all good. We're all respectful of each other. That's what counts. Yeah. You know, like twenty twenty is a very different year for us. And so I'm curious, like, what are some you know sustainable living habits you developed like during the past few months? Well, well, by force. I mean, we were talking about this before. How you know the airport has been closed here for four months. 
I don't think that's sustainable. Um, I haven't flown for four months and I don't fly that often. In fact, to be honest, I really don't like traveling anymore. I think I've done plenty of that in my life and I'm, I'm done. Um, but it's, you know, the implications of closing airports, although it's sustainable, <coughs> excuse me, it's, it's actually quite dire. Um, because for example, one of my best friends here, her sister was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and she died in two months. And my poor friend couldn't go out and say goodbye to her. You know, it was a very sudden diagnosis, a very sudden death. And she couldn't go to the funeral or anything. Um, and I told you before as well that I have two friends here that went out um, traveling to see their families because they're foreigners. And that was like five months ago and they still haven't been able to get back into the country to see their husbands here. So I, I don't think, you know, closing airports is a great way to maybe cut down on air pollution and stuff. And it certainly made me more sustainable, but that's not actually sustainable. I think we need airports for connecting to other people. Um, you know, we need to be together. Like my friend whose sister died was still heartbroken. You know, it's going to haunt her all her life. I think that she couldn't be at her side while she was dying. So it's really not cool to, to close airports. And I hope this doesn't happen again. Um, but that's, that's my own experience. Otherwise, everything's the same because, you know, even with a pandemic and being stuck inside, to be honest, there's nowhere to go here anyway. Like, there's no supermarket even. We just have local markets and they were open. Um, so my life didn't change at all um, because it's, you know, nothing is really different. Um, except for the travel element. But that being said, I think the entire fashion industry is going to be different in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of brands that I've been working with for several years have closed down, which is really sad. Um, and a lot of them are just struggling, which is really sad. Um, some have reported better online sales. So I hope that they managed to pull through. Um, but yeah, I feel like the lockdowns really impacted small businesses more than large ones, of course. And that's, yeah. that's not cool. So hopefully yeah, we'll see like, that. Yeah, I've seen like a lot of brands like doing like 50%, 60, like even 60% of for their like products, which like, like you never get to see like, like before 2020. It definitely impacted our sales a lot because of the pandemic. A lot. It was really sad. I mean, to for a couple of weeks, I just kept getting all these emails saying, we're sorry to say goodbye, or sorry, we have bad news, or thanks for working with us, or thanks for your support. So many have shut down. Um, it's precarious. I mean, to be a fashion brand is tough enough. To be a sustainable fashion brand is even harder. But to be a sustainable fashion brand in a lockdown, Ooh, good luck with that, right? Toughest ever. Yes. So, I don't know. 2020 has not been a great year yet. So, hopefully things are going to change soon. I really, really hope so. Okay, cool. So, well, you mentioned you're, like, you have very, like, a vegetarian, almost, almost close to vegan diet. So, like, do you have, like, your favorite vegetarian recipes or restaurants that you want oh to share? Oh my God, my food writer is the bomb. I love my girl, Laura. She is such a great 
food writer for Alux, and I use a lot of her recipes, believe me. I become a much, much, much better cook. Um, and Peruvian food is pretty awesome. So there are a lot of great uh, restaurants around here that I frequent that are, you know, mainly vegan. So Causa Tico is one of them. You guys wouldn't know them. They're just teeny tiny restaurants with amazing food though. Yeah, I mean, plants are miraculous sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, like a fun fact here, um, there's actually more like carbon emission for farm raising than like transportation. Like transportation is way lower than like farm raising like cows. There are like a ton of carbon emissions from those farms. Oh, it's terrible. Industrial farming, it, it's not only like the CO2. I don't even care about that. I care about the the, the heartbreaking situation of the animals. It's absolutely yeah. devastating. I, I can't even imagine. Here, the animals are kind of free range and they're kind of tied up by a leg or something, but they're usually just in a pasture. And it kind of breaks my heart because I know what their fate is and I kind of want to rescue them because sometimes they get to know them when they see me coming, they know me, and especially the sheep, they want to rub their head on my hand. Um, the pigs, they kind of know me and they know I'm going to give them some herbs that are growing in the grass. So they kind of get all excited before I come up to them. So it's really sad because I, when I see them slaughtered, because I do see them sometimes um, dead on the people's farms here, I, I can't handle it. It actually depresses me for a long time. So even yeah, if it's not industrial that. farming, it's just so nasty and cruel. Yeah. And especially if you're like raising the animals yourself, you kind of develop like a personal connection with those animals. Well, it depends on your culture. I don't think the people here do. Like the locals oh, okay. just see them as like really stupid beasts and they don't really. Oh, right. Well, I mean, you have to have a certain mindset, I guess, like to get to know an animal and to allow the animal to trust you you have to kind of be in that headspace. And, you know, mm -hmm. people here just raise animals to eat. So they just see them okay. as dinner. Like they don't, they don't really see them as having a personality or anything. Um, yeah. But they do. They absolutely do. And I know they do. Um, so that's why I, when I get more land here, I want to try to start rescuing animals. Mm -hmm. It's a big task. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there are CO2 emissions as well coming from animal husbandry that are just unnecessary. And also there are certain crops like strawberries. Oh my God, people take it from me. <laughs> Believe me, do not eat non-organic strawberries because I've seen the quantity of pesticides that they dump all over this fruit. And yeah, that's just unnecessary as well. It's really unfortunate. Yeah. There are a lot of yeah. pesticides used in non organic farming. So I've, I've learned that and it's so unnecessary. You know, there's permaculture mm -hmm. techniques people could use. Um, and yeah, there, there are all kinds of farming tricks that have been lost over time, thanks to the industrial revolution and the green revolution. And that's a real pity because this is not how food should be grown. You know, just dumping tons of chemicals on it. No. It's not yeah. necessary. Like we don't need to use like so much chemical to grow no, our food. Yeah. I mean, and also they overproduce so much food. They end up throwing away because they, they can't sell it. So what's the point oh of God. that? Yeah. It's, it's such a huge waste. I mean, I, I would love to do a whole post on food politics, but 
it, it's pretty, it, it runs pretty deep. I mean, there are a lot of issues around food politics we could get into, like subsidies and uh, overproduction and, and quotas yeah. and things like that, but that's a separate topic. But it's something we really need to consider because you're right. I mean, fashion, it's not the number one polluter in the world. I'm pretty sure it's agriculture. Um, mm -hmm. And that makes sense um, just because of the sheer quantity of things being produced. And I think we really need to reconsider how we're producing food. You know, I'm here in the middle of it and I can see how damaging it can be and how unnecessary. I mean, in my own garden, for example, you know, if you have grapes in your garden and you're afraid of them getting pests, just grow roses near them because the pests will go to the roses first. So if your roses start to die, then you know your grapes are next. And then maybe you need to spray some kind of organic pesticide. But in general, the roses are going to attract the pests that would normally go to the grapes. And also if you grow garlic in between different crops, you know, um, little pests don't like garlic. They don't like the smell. So they're not going to attack your cabbage or whatever. So there are natural ways of controlling pests that we've just yeah. forgotten about or people can't be bothered to do when there's an easy way to spray, right? Yeah. Actually, I have a like a grape plant in my garden and then my mom grows some like roses beside it. It just like completely like accidental like grow like roses next to the grape. I didn't know there like you can attract pesticides like by growing roses next to grape. That's just like, oh my God. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of little tricks like that that you can do. Um, and even, you know, for example, I grow blueberries and birds love blueberries. So I just, I bought an extra plant thinking, okay, like you can have this one. So yeah, my yield is less, but you know, the birds like them too. And also I got cats and the cats are kind of like, hey bird, why didn't you go for that berry? Blah. <laughs> so the birds are not yeah. stupid now. They're like, okay, I'll leave the plant, bye. So yeah, yeah. there are different ways. Natural ways, fun ways even. Yeah, yeah. People just sustainable, forget. healthy. Yeah, I mean, it's so much more natural, but even when I tell the local people, like, if you don't want your cabbage to be eaten by slugs and just grow garlic in between because the slugs hate the garlic, they're like, oh, I can't be bothered, or that doesn't work, or, you know, they always have some excuse not to do it. So mm -hmm. right now I'm living beside a huge strawberry field, and it's terrible. <coughs> they're spraying, like, so often, once a week, maybe, for pesticide. Ugh. Terrible, yeah. terrible. And they grow them in plastic as well. Plastic? Yeah, they cover the strawberries with kilometers of plastic um, because the strawberry is very vulnerable to frost. So if it's growing under oh. the plastic, it stays warmer. Um, but it's so much plastic. It's ridiculous because I'm out there picking up plastic bottles that people throw and then I'm aware there's like a whole kilometer of plastic sheeting right in front of oh. me. So yeah, it's, it's really bad. Strawberries are terrible for the environment, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing. I mean, we need to learn to know which crops we, we should focus on eating, which ones are more sustainable. I think that would even make a bigger difference in the world than buying sustainable fashion. So thanks a lot, Ellie. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun talking uh -huh. to you. Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much.